You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with the NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and I will answer as many as I can. Well, today, believe it or not, is another Jewish holiday. You wouldn't know most because it's not a big deal holiday, but it is a holiday in the end. It is called Tu Bishvat. What is Tu Bishvat? Actually, the two is two Hebrew letters, a test and a vav, and their numerical value is 15. So like on a calendar, it would say 15. But you can pronounce those two letters as two. We do it a few other times during the year. Um, tu Ba'av and others, but this is Tu Bishvat. What is Tu Bishvat? So technically, Tu Bishvat is the, is the beginning of the tree fruit-bearing season. It is called the Rosh Hashanah, the, uh, the head of the year for the trees. It makes some differences in tithing for the years and a few other laws. But otherwise, there's really very little to the holiday itself. We don't really do anything. Um, there's no special prayers. Um, there's no special command. We don't really do anything. Now, people will try to eat fruit. I think Sfardim are very careful to eat all kinds of fruits, make blessings on different fruits. <laughs> um, the school I'm in, they they sell these, what they call tubishvat platters. It's just basically, um, you know, those plastics with uh, an assortment of different dried fruit and nuts and stuff. But um, for the most part, that's just about it. However, there's always good things to learn, even from a holiday that has very little to it as far as uh, customs and other things. And that is, why is today the day? Why is Tubishva at the time when we have this Rosh Hashanah, this head of the year for trees? So it says the sap in the trees starts to move. Now, it's pretty cold outside. I don't know exactly scientifically how it works um, in this part of the country, but at least in Israel, which is where everything centers anyways, at least in Israel, the sap in the trees are starting to move. So that is the beginning of the fruit season. Now let's, let's think about this picture. You look at this apple tree. You look at this, I don't know, olive tree. You look at this pomegranate tree or date tree. You see the same tree, nothing on it. There's probably no leaves on it. There's for sure no buds. There's no flowers on it. And you're telling me that inside the tree, the sap is beginning to move. But I don't see anything. But if not for this sap moving, we won't have any fruit in a few months from now. You might call that potential. In other words, the potential of this tree on the inside is starting to work. There's something going on inside this tree that will 
pun intended, will bear fruit. Right? The sap is going to eventually lead to the flowering and the buds and the, and the growth of the fruit, and then it'll be on your table and you'll have a delicious, sweet orange or whatever that fruit is that you happen to have on your table that you feel like eating. So that's really, that's really a, just a good lesson for all of us. I was telling my third graders today, but we see a person, and this person inside things are happening. That person has amazing potential. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Good thing I have my water here. I was joking with the kids in class today. I said, uh, you know, it's it's fruit, so therefore coffee comes from a bean, and maybe that's like a fruit. Uh, so I drink my coffee in honor of the holiday. So that led to a different discussion. But in any case, I digress. All right, we look at a person, and nothing special. You look at a child. You don't see anything. Who knows what's going to be with this child? But we need to know that deep within this child, there is potential. When we study with this child, when we interact with this child, when we love this child, things are happening inside that child. We need to have patience. We need to cultivate this child. We need to allow this child to grow and bear fruit. Whatever that fruit is going to be, kindness, um, helpful, uh, Torah study, um, leader in a community, who knows, or maybe not. Or maybe just an outstanding citizen, just a good guy or girl, right? So this internal, that's what we got to think about when we see the trees. And remember, today is the holiday of Tu Bishvat. We need to look not at what we see right now, but learn the lesson that whenever I see something, what seeing is not believing. What I see here now is a tree that looks like it's dead. It's not doing anything. Seeing is not believing. We got to remember there's something inside this tree. And we got to remember there's something inside that child. And there's something inside of each and every person that we know and meet and interact with. And therefore, um, we, have to, we have to bring out the best of every person. And it could take time. To think that it's going to happen immediately and it should happen immediately is ridiculous. With that introduction, that leads us into this week's Torah portion. So if you missed the last segment, we talked about the beginning of the Torah portion and, and, and Pharaoh sending the Jewish people and, the, and what happens by the, by the Red Sea and the, the, the Israel is saved and God drowns the Egyptians. Okay. This week's Torah portion is full of tests. That the Jewish people are tested. What is the purpose of a test? Like, wh- why is God testing us? And we go to a place where there's no water. Well, God knows there's no water. He knows we're going to do something, right? We're not going to just stand there and take it, right? So what is the purpose of a test? The purpose of a test is to show you. It allows you to grow, and it shows you how much you either are or are not growing in the right direction. So you also have internal. You also need to know just because, forget about the outsider seeing it, just because you don't see what's deep inside of you doesn't mean that there's nothing there. There's something there. So if other people don't bring it out, you bring it out. And a test has the ability to do that. And for the most part, unfortunately, most of the tests are really all the 10 tests that the Jewish people experience in the desert um, don't go well. But they were all, but the point of them was to teach us. And we'll see this teaching lessons. For example, um, the Red Sea is a test. Right? 
God brings us around. There's the ocean or the sea behind us. On either side is desert. Could be those wild animals there. We have the approaching Egyptian army. What do you do? Well, don't worry. There were all kinds of reactions. Some people wanted to fight, which seems silly. Some people wanted to wave the white flag. Some people um, wanted to pray. And, of course, some people wanted to complain. There's always complainers. And some people wanted to complain to Moses, and they did, loud and clear. Moses prays to God. God says, now is not the time for prayer. Now it's time for action. Now, again, with everybody doing their things wrong at the beginning of the test, but, you know, it's now I don't do it so much because I don't really give tests in third grade, but I see with my children all the time, teacher gives a test. So you got it wrong. So fix it. Right? Why does everything have to be so in cement that, oh, you got it wrong, it's all over? The purpose of my test is to make sure you understand the information. So you got it wrong. So now let's see if we can figure out what you got wrong so you know what I'm trying to teach you. Isn't that the whole point of the test? I would think so. I would hope so. So, okay, we complained. We got some things wrong. So Moses says, got to travel. And we traveled into the sea. So up to our nose. Then God splits it. So, which we're going to talk about a bunch of times over here. We needed to learn that when something happens, so our first reaction cannot be to complain. Which is, by the way, for some people, part of life. For some people, every time something goes wrong, their immediate reaction is complain. What would be so bad is if something goes wrong, maybe we ask Right? I could be in an office. Something went wrong. Whatever. You, you all have all your examples. So most people's reaction is to complain and quetch. Why can't you just go and say, if you don't have the ability to fix it, so go to the manager, boss, like, what are you afraid of? Just say, what should I do? What would you like me to do? I, I, I don't know how to fix this problem. I got a problem and said, oh, it's crazy. It's not working. What do you expect from me? Forget all that stuff. Nobody likes that. Nobody's interested. Just go ahead and say, how can I fix this? Can you help me fix this? Can you help me deal with this situation? When you ask for help, you're going to, you, 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 you pass the test, right? So too, Moses wants, and God wants the Jewish people to learn when something goes wrong, stop complaining. Talk to God. Ask God, what should I do? Ask Moses, what should I do? Don't complain to him. Oh, why did you take us out of Egypt to kill us here in the desert? Which is what the verse says. Just say, what does God want us to do? You tell, we are ready to do whatever you want. We just don't know what to do. So please tell us. And Moses will say, march in. Okay, we're marching in. Right, wouldn't that be much better? Because that's what happened in the end anyways. And a lot of times that's what's going to happen anyways. With all your complaining and all your crutching, at the end of the day, however it's going to get fixed, it's getting fixed. The question is, can it get fixed without you crutching or not? And this really seems to happen by all the tests. We uh, show up to a place called Mara. Mara, from the word Marar, means bitter. They showed up to a place, the name of the town was bitter, or whatever it is in the desert, the location. Because the water was undrinkable. So we show up in Mara. So what do we do? We complain. Moses, we've been traveling for three days. We're dying of thirst. And the place you bring us has no water. What are you thinking? 
It's, it's undrinkable. Moses prays to God. God shows Moses a bitter stick. He throws the bitter stick into a bit of water. And miracle of miracles, the water is now drinkable. It's now sweet water. So here, interesting enough, um, we are going to find out. We are going to be taught. And I would sometimes you take a test and you get it wrong. Your boss gives you a test, you fail. Okay, it happens. At some point, if you can't figure out on your own that you're supposed to come and ask for help, then it's the boss's job to say, when you have a problem, knock on my door and we will help you together, take care of, or not together. I'll tell you what you're supposed to do to take care of the issue. So what happens is, we were traveling three days. We didn't have water. Um, we get to a place with water. The water is undrinkable. It's bitter. We complain to Moses. Moses says, no problem. Talks to God. God says, take the bitter stick, throw in the bitter water, and now you have sweet water. Then Moses gives us a speech. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting speech because it's, the words don't seem to make any sense. It says, Sham, sham, lo, chok, umishbat, v'sham, niso. There, sham, there, he placed for the Jewish people laws and judgments, and there he tested him. So the commentaries all want to know, what exactly, what exactly are, 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 is this law and judgments? So let's back up. Uh, the Jewish people traveled for three days, and when they got to the water, it was bitter. So God was saying, according to the Rashi commentary, God was saying, you traveled for three days and you did not learn a blessed word of Torah. You didn't do any Torah study. Therefore, the water you're going to drink will be bitter. This is not a punishment. This is just fact. If you go three days without Torah study, everything is bitter. You must study Torah, at least for the Jewish people. My show counts. But let me tell you what else counts. So Moses, by the way, made a decree from then on that the Torah will be read minimum every three days. Right? We read the Torah, we take out the Torah Monday mornings, Thursday mornings, and Saturday mornings, and Saturday afternoon, by the way. That way you never go more than three days, or at least the community never goes more than three days without reading from the Torah. That's So therefore, Rashi says the reason it was bitter was because we didn't have any, any Torah to study. So God says, no problem, I'm going to give you some Torah to study. Doesn't mean we kept these laws. It says it was honoring parents and the Sabbath and the Red Eifer. It had nothing to do with keeping the laws. We're going to keep the laws when we accept the Torah. But God is giving us some laws so that we have something to study. Because if we don't have anything to study, again, we're going to travel three days. And again, the water is going to be bitter. So it's not a punishment that the water was bitter. It's just a lesson that you go three days without Torah study, your water is going to be bitter. You need to get that lesson. I, why couldn't you tell me the lesson first? Because this is all part of tests. How are you going to react? Which we're going to talk about in a second. How are you going to react when you're in a situation that's difficult? That's part of the test. You fail the test, but I still, God said, I still have to teach you how you're supposed to react. Um, a second explanation to why God had to give us something to study was because in a couple of weeks we're going to be accepting the Torah or God's going to ask us to accept the Torah. We need something to study. We have to have some feeling for what God's talking about. Do you accept the Torah? What's Torah? 
right? If I ask most people out there, they have no idea what Torah is. So if you got to know what Torah means, i got to give you something to study. i give you something to study. So now at least you have a feeling when I say Torah, what am I talking about? The Ramban himself has a totally different look at what we were given. Because he asks a lot of questions. He says there's no mention of, of uh, what we were given to study almost everywhere else in the Torah. Whenever we're given a command, it says God said to Moses to say to the Jewish people. And then it gives uh, an overview, so, some details, some less details about the command that we're about to do. Right? We're given... We're given commands all over the Torah. That's what the Torah is all about. And here it says we were given laws and judgments and no details. Zero. So therefore, the Ramban says, that's not what we got. What happened was we got the laws of the desert. How are we supposed to live in the desert? Because right now we're in the desert. Um, yeah, we'll be getting the Torah and we'll stay by Mount Sinai for a year after we get the Torah. So we're going to be here for a while. You need to know the laws of the desert. The Torah does not have to write down the laws of the desert. I'm giving you the laws of the desert. For example, you're going to have to live with less. If you have a problem from God or Moses, ask. Don't complain. These are going to be the rules you're going to have to live by. Well, it was hopefully just for a year and change. Of course, it turns into 40 years. But there's rules. Love your friends. Listen to your elders. Be modest. Be nice to passing merchants, right? People are going to be coming and buying and selling stuff all the time. Be nice, right? Um, don't be like desert thieves that like that maraud or marauders, however you want to say it, right? You got to learn how to live in the desert. So therefore, we were given the rules and regulations of how to act. Um, we have other tests that come up. We're going to have uh, when, when we don't have... Um, there's no food. We run, the food supply. I say the food supply runs out. The matzah they baked when they left Egypt lasted for a month, miraculously, and uh, we have no food. So again, it, everything takes takes time and learning and review, constant review. We still didn't get the message. What do we do? We complain instead of asking, saying Moses, we got no food. We're starving. What would you like us to do? Want us to die? We die. You tell us we don't need any more food. We don't need food. But they didn't get that lesson yet. So Moses is going to pray to God. We're going to get that food from heaven, which will be a daily test, by the way. We talked about that. We're going to travel again. No water. We're going to complain to Moses. This time Moses says, you're not dying of thirst. right? What's the big deal? Just have patience. Three days later, no water. Complain again. So again, we, 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 are, we need a lot of time. We need a lot of review, right? We're no different than them, right? And our kids are no different. You tell somebody a lesson once. I'm a teacher. You tell somebody a lesson once. You, you think because you told them to behave once, now they're the most righteous students forever. That's ridiculous. We repeat it and repeat it and teach it again and teach it again because that is the only way that we can teach lessons by constant, constant review. And that's what we needed. The one-time message was not – it was a test. Help us grow. But we're going to need a lot of reminders. And that's what's happening throughout the desert. So I want to veer off a little bit. Um, in this week's Torah portion, it's in the song, we talk about um, how God allowed the Egyptians to be buried. And it was a reward for um, saying by one of the plagues, by hail, that God is righteous. Because the Egyptians say God is righteous, they all deserve to be buried. 
So I saw a fascinating story this week. This concept that there's always there's always a reward. You're always going to be paid back even for the smallest thing. Now, that may be your only reward if that's the only thing you've ever done. So the story is told by Rabbi Beryl Wine. He's in Israel. He was davening in a synagogue, and it was a different setup. Most synagogues, just rows of, of chairs, and you don't really see anybody. Maybe you see the heads of the people in front of you. He was in one of these smaller synagogues where you sat on long tables. So you actually sat across, and you could see very good that people sat across. So he's sitting down, and a man walks in with three boys. Blonde, light blonde hair, bright blue eyes, pale skin. I mean, Aryan written all over him. He walks in with his three boys. They look even more Aryan than the father. And he sees them sit down, and they start to pray. Pray beautiful. But this Rabbi Beryl Wine, he was like a little, like, like what, what gives? He's, you know, he knows in Israel there's people from around the world. But this, this look did not look Jewish. So he asked his host, and his host said, you know, it's a very interesting story. I'll let the guy tell you the story himself. Avram, please come meet Rabbi Beryl Wine. Oh, Avram, how are you? What do you do? I'm a microbiologist in a certain university. Oh, great. Um, you know, I saw how beautiful your children pray and how you pray. And, but I, I must tell you, you look, you don't look Jewish. And uh, I collect stories. So the man says, I'll tell you my story. My father was in the SS. He was a high officer in the SS. And, uh, and he was a good soldier. And he was really rotten. He, he, he was one of those guys. He killed a lot of Jews. Nothing to talk about. And growing up, I didn't know. Nobody ever told me stories. And uh, eventually he was caught and he was put on trial. And I'm reading in the paper with horror about what kind of person my father was. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't understand. How could the German people be so... We, we were, we're such good citizens. We're such, we think we're such good people. How could we act so barbaric as animals to try to annihilate and what we did to the Jews? So I had to research so I figured, you know, let me find out who are these Jews. Like, I'm in Germany. Like, who are these Jews? Let me find out who the Jews are. And then maybe I can figure out why my father and so many others acted the way they did. So I went to Israel and I started studying Judaism and philosophy and their Talmud. And the more I studied, the more I began to love who and what the Jewish people stood for. After two years of intense study, I applied for citizenship and I applied to convert. And uh, I found I went looking for a wife, and a, and a girl from Germany, a little north of where I'm from. We got married. We had uh, three boys. Okay. Very religious. My children have long side locks. And then I get a message that my father is in a hospital. He's like 93 years old. My father's in a hospital and he's dying. So I, I, I took a leave of absence from my university, and I went with my family, and I went to visit my father. And I hadn't spoken to my father really in years because, uh, you know, I became Jewish, and he hunted Jews. So I went in to see my father, and at first he didn't want to look at me. He didn't want to talk to me. And, but he's old. You know, he knows I'm his son. He knows these are his grandchildren. And we started to talk, and, and I was just so curious. I said, I said, Father. You know, we believe that no one, nothing happens for no reason. In other words, if you have three Jewish grandchildren, something, you must have done something to deserve three Jewish grandchildren. Can you remember anything good you did? And as far as, thank you, so you know, 
I was, I, was a, I was a killer. I don't know if I remember anything. Then he says, you know, I do remember. I remember, for whatever strange reason, one time when we were hunting Jews and we had, I had caught three children in a barn. And really, either I shoot them on the spot or I, or I, I, I bring them to, to where we put in a cattle car. And for some strange reason, I decided to let those three Jewish children run. That's the only good thing I can think of. So the, um, this Avram says, I told my father, I said, just imagine. What if you would have saved four Jewish children? You would have four grandchildren standing here. But you only saved three. So you only deserve to have three Jewish grandchildren. That is an amazing story. And the music is playing. I hope you guys enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to wonderful sponsors listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to our production team. We have David, Jalen, and Alan in the back. I hope I've left some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.